Luke 9, 57 will be our text. Before we get started, though, just a few words of introduction. It's, it's great, the, the benefits of a, one of the benefits of expository preaching comes out on mornings like this. Uh, the reason why I'm passionate about expository preaching, and what I mean by expository preaching is that uh, essentially it is the, the meaning of the text is the meaning of the sermon. So I don't, I don't come up with an idea, I want to talk about this, get on my concordance and try to find a place where the Bible talks about what I want to talk about. I, I have a conviction that what we talk on in the mornings here is what the text says. And further, I, I'm so, I want to just be guided by God and His Word that I don't just randomly jump around, but we work through books of the Bible like we have done since I've been here. We go through the Gospel of Luke, and so therefore our text for this morning is not something Darren picked out, it's, it's the next text. And so what, one of the benefits of this is that when we come to difficult passages like this morning, you might be tempted to think, well, somebody really made Darren mad. And so he's up here this morning to give us a text to tell us what's what. And uh, I, I get out of that. I, I isn't, no one has said anything to me that has made me mad, and so I'm going to somehow lay a bunch of hard teaching on you. We're simply going into what's next. This is our next text in the Gospel of Luke, and it's not a, a friendly text. And I, I mean, obviously, I believe all of God's Word is inspired but it isn't one of those texts that just, you know, leaves you with these sort of warm fuzzies. This one goes right to the heart of the matter of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Lord? Jesus is Savior. He's this, he's this one who's died on the cross and he's, he's bore our sins upon the tree and he's saved us. Is Jesus, is he just this thing on the side that has accomplished something for us? Or is Jesus Lord of all? Will all of heaven and earth one day confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, as Philippians tells us? This is what will happen. Do we confess then Jesus as Lord? And so this preaching expositionally, we've we got to discuss and go with this text this morning. But we've not gathered, it's okay to do this, because we, we haven't gathered ultimately to make church a safe place where you'll never be challenged, where you'll never be rebuked or be called to repent. If you can find a place that is a safe environment where you're never called to repent, where you're never rebuked, where you're never challenged, I would venture to say it's probably not a church. This is what we gather for is let the Word of God speak. And at times, the Word of God does bear upon us to repent to bear some rebuke, to bear some challenge. A true church is never the kind of place that's like that because that's not the kind of Savior we have. That's not the kind of Savior we have. Only Jesus can save. That's for sure. Only Jesus can save. But that doesn't mean He's safe. Only Jesus can save. But that doesn't mean He's safe. And what I hope we've gathered for here this morning is not just to have our itching ears scratched. I, I want Darren to give me, you know, I got an itch back here. Can he scratch it? So that way I, I walk away feeling like I got some sort of need met. But our goal this morning is that we would hear the earnest call of our Savior and that we would respond. 
We would hear God's word to us and that and we would respond. So with that in mind, let's read our text for this morning. This is Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Grass withers, the flower fades, and the word of our God stands forever. What does it mean to follow? Three times in our text this morning, we hear this word follow, follow. There's this call, I will follow you, Lord, and Jesus calls people to follow him. There's this following, it's this this present active verb of follow. If if you use the word follow, you don't, you're not talking about I followed or I'm going to follow. It is the word follow. It is a present active word. If you're following, if you are a follower, if you are someone who is in the action of, of I'm going to follow, it is a present active. We don't, it's not um, something that's happened once in the past or something that's going to happen maybe in the future. It is a present reality follow. It is a present active reality. So I like to think of it like this. Have you ever been somewhere with friends and you're wanting to go somewhere that they don't know where it is? It's a, it's a large group of you and they say, well, let's go to XYZ. Oh, I know the way to there. And they say, well, fine, I'll just follow you. Okay. And, and so that's great. Perfect. Follow me. You go out, you, you get your shoes on, you get your coat on, you go start your car because it's cold out. And you come back in, and the friend's still on the couch with their feet up in a, in a plate of hors d'oeuvre. You know, they just, they just refresh their appetizers. And you, you're, you're saying there, if you want to follow me, it's time to get up and actually follow. This person has said, they've made some sort of mental ascent, I'm going to follow you. But they haven't even got off the couch yet. Following, are they following The answer to that is no, they're not following. They've made some sort of declaration they're going to, but they've yet to actually make any action. That the word follow is a present active word. There's there's motion to it that a person who says they're going to follow you but stays on the couch isn't isn't a follower. You can't say that person's going, that person's following me because they're not. They haven't even rose from the couch yet to get their shoes on. So we got followers like that. They say, oh, I'll follow. That ain't really following, right? Can we agree? That's not following. But then you also have people like this. And I've got some friends that are like this. That you know, They're going to follow you and you're going through Des Moines or somewhere because, I mean, everybody around here, it's not hard to find things. It's, you know, but if you're in the city or something and, and they get, they're going to follow you and they're, they're tailing you on the way there and you pass a gas station and they turn off. Because they wanted a donut or something. You know, they, wanted, they, they needed a drink for the way, you know. So they pull off and you're going and you're like, that's not following me. That's, that's following me halfway. And you took an exit 
And now, now how are you going to follow me? Does anyone ever have that experience happen? Or, I mean, you know, that this person just, they decide, ah, oh, I got it from here, go on. Are they following you at that point? No. They, they've come so far, and they think, you know what, I got it from here, I'm going to take a, I want a coffee break and a donut. And they, is that person a follower? No. Following has a present, active reality to it. Follow is the important word in our text this morning. We have three would-be disciples, three would-be disciples of Jesus speaking about this desire for them to follow him, to follow Jesus. The craziest, this is so shocking. Jesus is a terrible marketer. He's a terrible marketer. When it comes to, if, if he wants to build this church, if he wants to get disciples, if he wants to have his mega church, he does not know how you do this thing, right? He's got this all backwards. He, he, he's got these guys who are coming to him saying, I want to follow him. And how are you supposed to respond? If someone says, hey, I want to follow you, I want to, I want to get to know you, Jesus, or someone comes to you, how do you respond? Well, I tell you how I respond. I gush over the person. Do you not? I'm like, here's a Bible. Here's, if you're talking to me now, here's the app on your phone. Let me get it up for you. I'll connect with you. We can read our Bibles together. Here's Bible study. Here's church. Can I take you out for supper? Can I have, you know, what can I do? Let's get together and talk. I'm, I'm over. I just, you want to be a disciple? You want to come in? I gush. What does Jesus do? I'll gush and gush over them. Jesus goes in exactly the opposite direction. He goes in exactly the opposite direction. He almost works to dissuade them, to discourage them against following him. And we don't really know where they end up, if they end up following or not, but it really doesn't look promising. Let's look at these examples. You still have your Bible out. Just these three examples quickly. First, we have the man who makes this bold declaration, verse 57. I will follow you wherever you go. That sounds great. That is a bold declaration. Jesus, anywhere you go, I will follow you. What more positive of a confession can you ask for than that? But Jesus seemingly looks, looks right through the man. We, we know in several places from our scripture that Jesus knows the thoughts and hearts of men. That, that we can, I, I don't know any of your hearts and thoughts, probably that's a good thing standing up here, but we, I, I can't figure that. Jesus, though, he looks and he knows the hearts and thoughts of men. And so possibly this man makes this declaration, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus looks at him and he knows there's more to this story. So he looks into his heart possibly, but when this man makes this confession, he's put to the test with this statement from Jesus in verse 58. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has Nowhere to lay us up. Foxes have a better house than the Son of Man. Birds have a better house than the Son of Man. Jesus, the Son of Man, this is famous, it's his uh, favorite declaration for himself, basically the Son of Man. The, the Son of Man, he's got no home here. He's got no home. You want to follow me? Well, you're not going to have a home. He, he pushes on, this, on this, this, this would-be disciple. Foxes and birds fared better than the Son of Man when it came to having a home. What's, what's meant by this? I mean, you, so you're trying to get into the mind. What is Jesus saying? Is he, is he saying that it's wrong for Christians then to have a home? Like we shouldn't have homes because foxes have homes, birds have homes, but the Son of Man didn't have homes, so maybe I shouldn't own a home. No, that's, that's, I don't think that's at all. That's a, I think that's a bad application of the verse. 
But, and in fact, we do know that Jesus did stay the night sometimes, different places with Peter's mother-in-law and, and things like that, house of Capernaum. We, we've got places that Jesus stayed. But what's clearly meant by this, what's clearly meant is that any sure security in this life is not to be found by the follower of Christ. Any sure security in this life is not to be found by the follower of Christ. There's a very real sense that when you begin to follow, your, follow Christ, you move your home from anywhere here to just wherever Jesus is. That my home isn't here. That, that every place I could find to lay my head doesn't end up being my, my home. And doing that, the Christian very quickly begins to realize that we have no home here. We have nowhere to truly lay our head down in full security. We are sojourners in this life. When someone converts to Christ, when someone begins to follow Christ, they take up the realization, this world is not my home. This is not the place where I find my security. This is not the place where I find my happiness. This is not the place where I get to lay my head down and enjoy this up separate from Christ because following Christ, my home, my life, my treasure is now with Him and it is not here. To follow Christ is to give up your worldly security. It's to recognize that this world is not your home, but your home is where Christ is. It is to that home that we long to go to and to rest. In a very real sense, in a very real sense, to cling to Jesus is to lose your home here. It's to lose your belonging in this world, in this life, because it is with Jesus. He essentially says, come follow me, which is a great call, come follow me and never feel at home until you're home with me. Come follow me, Jesus says, and essentially never feel at home until you're at home with me. This culture, this world, its priorities, its rights, its rules, its demands will always feel out of step. Will always feel step out of, out of step with the Christian. And it's why Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. To follow Christ is to set your mind upon Him, and not upon the things of this earth. This first disciple gets challenged. I want to follow you. I'll follow you anywhere you want to go. And Jesus calls him on the carpet and says, Okay, to follow me means you have no more belonging here. Your belonging is with me. That's not good marketing, Jesus. We don't, but that's the call nonetheless. The second man receives the call from Jesus, says, follow me. Jesus actually says to him, follow me. In verse 59, to another he said, follow me. But this man hears this call and he says, Lord, let me first, let me first go and bury my father. Let me first go and bury my father. He hears the call of Christ. He says, absolutely. I'm going to follow you. Yes, I want to follow you. Just could you first let me go home and bury my father. Hear this. There is no following Christ if anything else other than Christ is first. There is no following Christ if anything else than Christ is first. The man seems to make an understandable argument. 
when we read that, we think, wow, this guy, he wants to go and bury his dad. The funeral's on its way. He wants to go home and bury his dad. But likely that's not actually what happened. Uh, in the Jewish culture, if, if someone died, you didn't leave them. I mean, if, if his father has actually laying there dead, he wouldn't be out listening to Jesus. He'd be with his father. They'd be having the family be coming in, and they'd bury him pretty quickly. Um, so it isn't like uh, he's, his dad's been embalmed, and he's sitting at the funeral home for the next four days, and so I'm going to go out and listen to Jesus, and I just want to go funerals tomorrow, and I'll come follow. That's not what he's saying. What this, what this would-be disciple is saying, essentially, is my dad's not dead yet, and likely that's, that's his life. That's what he's been living for is the inheritance from his father. Maybe he's just heard this statement of foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Okay, well, if I go bury my father, I go home and I, I, I take care of my father and he dies, all that my father has becomes mine. Problem solved. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, and I've got my inheritance. I'm going to go follow Jesus. And Jesus doesn't allow it. The man uses this word first. It seems smart and sensible to do this, doesn't it? If Jesus has nowhere to lay his head, why not save up for the next few years, get a little nest egg, then go follow Jesus? Jesus has no, no, no time for that. He says, Jesus says to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Either Jesus has no care for the dead, or else there is something of such immense value to be done that otherwise noble tasks have no value in comparison. It's not wrong to go home and take care of your parent, to, to, want to be with them while they die and to take care of them. There's nothing essentially wrong with that. But the call from Jesus is to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. He's comparing the, the high value of something that, that it makes all other things, maybe noble and valid things, honor your father and mother. It's a pretty important commandment. But something of such high value is being contrasted with it that Jesus says, leave that, leave the dead. And by that, he probably, the spiritually dead, those who are not alive to the gospel, leave the spiritually dead to bury the dead. And you go and proclaim this good news. It's the call of Jesus to follow him. The third man makes a, a simpler request. He just wants to go home and say goodbye. And we don't know what all, maybe, maybe that's some sort of a, getting his affair in order, as we don't really know, but yet another, verse 61 says, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Seems sensible. Jesus says to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Following Jesus means not looking back. Following Jesus, those who look back, those who turn back, those who long for what was. I just, I just want to go back for a moment to what was. I just want to go back for a moment to before I, before I met you, before I heard this call. I just want to go back for a moment and then I'll come. And Jesus seemingly knows that to, to look back and to go back is to stay back. Is to not follow. Is to not follow. The rebuke is to refuse the one who would follow Christ all the while looking back and longing for what they could have had if they hadn't followed Christ. Looking back, longing and longing and longing. The proverb was, you can't plow a straight furrow while looking backwards. You ever try to mow the yard looking backwards? It doesn't go well, right? I mean, that's not the way I was taught to rake hay or to anything like that. Yeah, you got to 
Got to, and, and when you when you windrow, you don't you, you look. I mean, I still do it on my lawnmower. It's so weird how the farm doesn't leave you on my little lot in my house. When I want to mow a straight line, I don't look down in front of me, and I certainly don't look behind me, but you pick a fixed point out in front of you, right? And you mow toward a fixed point to make a, stra- make a straight line. The proverb is you can't, you can't plow a straight furrow if you're constantly looking back to what you'd like to have, to what you once had, to what could be, but you're going forward. You're going forward. The follower of Christ does not follow him while looking back and longing for the world that they are leaving behind. Anyone who does that is not fit for the kingdom of God. This is, just, this is a ton of bricks. What's this all mean for us then? And I think that at a very simple level, it makes you ask, am I following Jesus? I, I, I don't know any other way to read that. And to have it just nail you to the wall, follow me. Are you? I, I, it forces us to further and ask that if we are following of Jesus, do we, do we confess that what we are following, because many people would say, absolutely, I'm a follower of Jesus, but are we truly following Jesus? And back to my opening illustration, for, for some, the idea of following Jesus is like the person who says, I'll follow you, and then never gets off the couch. I'm, gonna, I'm a follower of Jesus and never gets up and gets their shoes on and goes out to the car to ever make any sort of a step to actually follow Jesus and what he would have for them. Do you follow Jesus? Sure, they reply. But there is no genuine movement to actually follow. There is no abandoning of their current pursuits in the pursuit of following Jesus. They have no desire to be a genuine follower of Jesus. Jesus doesn't allow for this. He doesn't allow for this. There's no, that, there's no concept of a follower who never gets up to follow. No concept of it. There's no love for Scripture in someone like that. There's no love for the gathering of God's people. There's no love for the body of Christ. There's no self-sacrifice for the good of others. That is not following Jesus. For others, the idea of following Jesus is like it's a past event that I, I did at one time. This is the person who gets in the car and starts and then takes a side trip. They... They, maybe they've walked an aisle or they've prayed a prayer or, or you know, I, I, did, I, I had this powerful moment once when I, 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 I prayed the sinner's prayer. We had an evangelist. They came and they talked to me and I prayed the sinner's prayer and I followed Jesus. Look back uh, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. I, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. But once they've got that far, they stop and take some donuts and coffee break and, and they, it's a present active reality. They, they, they've, they've set their hand to the plow and they've looked back. And what does Jesus say to this? Someone who does that isn't really a follower. They've walked an aisle or something like that. But they followed Jesus so far and they figure, I, I think I've done that. I'm going to go on and do my own thing. Both of these types of people would say they're followers of Jesus. Neither one of them are. Neither one of them are. Three guys here. I'm going to follow Jesus. None of them pass the muster. None of them, none of them qualify as those who actually follow Jesus. So we have to look at these. And the question is, are you? Are you? And I, I, I say you because I want to put it on you because it's been on me all week as I read this text. And I have to think, am I? Am I? Are you a follower of Jesus? Don't answer too quickly. Don't answer too quickly. I thought over this all week long. And sometimes it's easy to take a pass because people accuse me of being 
more passionate than other people. <laughs> you know, I'm up front. I, I do this thing. Darren, you, you know, you get it. So I kind of, I could take a pass. Well, obviously, here I stand. Don't, don't, don't answer too quickly. Don't answer too quickly. It's easy sometimes to take, a, to take a, an, a, an easy pass. But I read these high demands. <laughs> and I look hard inside of myself. And it, it causes me to cry out, God, help me. God, help me. I want to follow, but there are so many competing desires inside this sinful flesh of mine. There are so many competing desires. It seems to me that much of the Christian life is longing so I want to follow and fighting and slaying all these thousands of other things that compete for you to want to follow them. All of these influences, follow this, follow that, follow this. It isn't like, oh, one thing, I've followed Jesus and everything's, you know, the glory road from there. It's every day. Something's twinkling over here. Some, something smells good this way or something's bright and shiny. All these things I could be called to follow. And every day the life of the Christian is one of killing all that would call you to follow it and following Christ and going to bed and waking up and killing all the things that call you to follow them and following Christ and going to bed and getting up and killing all the things that call you to follow them and following Christ. Martin Luther says in his 95 Theses, the first one, that the whole of Christian life is one of repentance. One of repentance. And when it comes to following Christ, the question is not if you're doing it perfectly, because you can try to hold, you can try to claim it, but I'm going to call your bluff. No one is. No one is. The question isn't, are you doing it perfectly? The question is, can you identify where you aren't and then repent? Kill repent, mortify. You know what that is when you follow things other than Jesus? You know what that's called? Sin. It's called treasuring other things more than Christ. It's sin. It's grievous to the heart of God. What's the only response to that? Repent. 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 Following something other than Christ and valuing something more than Him, it is sin. It's not to be entertained It's not to be played with. I'm going to follow Christ and I've got these lesser things I'm following. Or I'm going to follow Christ, but first I've got this thing. Not to be entertained or play with. It has something to be slaughtered by the help of the Spirit and then by the empowering of the Spirit to follow as you're called to. R. Kent Hughes said this in his commentary, No one who commits to following Christ and does so lives a life of ease. No one. If your Christianity has not brought discomfort to your life, something is wrong. A committed heart knows the discomfort of loving difficult people, the discomfort of giving until it hurts, the discomfort of putting oneself out for the ministry of Christ and His church, the discomfort of being disliked, the occasional sense of having nowhere to lay your head. But Christ's rewards far outvalue anything lost by following Him. Christ's rewards far outvalue anything lost by following Him. Really, I've got a few things I'm going to skip because really, you're intelligent people. You can figure out the brass tacks of this. You can figure out the details, the negative of things you need to do away with, things you need to part with, hobbies and, and, and all these things you should do away with, the spending of money that's unnecessary, things you should do away with, and the positive things you should do. You can figure this out, folks. Get with Jesus and ask. I've got a feeling he'll let you know. 
of things you should put aside and pursuits you should take up. They're both simply summed up like this, though. Get off the couch and actually follow. And follow all the way until you're home with Jesus. Follow all the way until you're home with Jesus. But those were two things summed up. Thirdly, going beyond the practical level, following Jesus does involve present active action. And at its core, it is the valuing of Jesus over everything else. If you want a heart, I want a heart. If you're with me and wanting a heart that follows Jesus, seek to value, to see and value Christ for all that he's worth. If we had a vision for the value of Christ, if we had a vision for the value of what it means to have peace with God through faith and being justified by faith through this work of Christ, if we had the sight for that value, why would you turn aside to anything else? Why would you turn aside to anything else? If other baubles and other pursuits are shining to you, Plead with God, give me eyes to see the value of Christ. More powerful than just the naked command to do something because you should. Do it because you should. Deny this because you should. Do this because you should. It's maybe true, but more powerful than just a a naked command to do is to actually see the value of what you're doing and why you should be pursuing it. Then these tasks, the don'ts, the do's, the whatever, while admittedly may be uncomfortable in the doing of them, they become the only choice to kill these things, to do these things, because of the clear knowledge that we have of the high value of what's being pursued. Is Jesus this valuable? Is Jesus this valuable to you? Because he is that valuable. Is Jesus worth following? And are we following Charles Spurgeon says this, you are always the most prudent, always the most prudent when you cast away all caution and throw yourself upon Jesus, sink or swim. It can never be prudent to doubt him who is the truth, but it is always the highest wisdom to place all in his hands and there leave it for time and eternity. To risk all with Jesus is to end all risk. To risk all with Jesus is to end all risk. I want you to think seriously about this as we get ready for communion. The communion call is a call to follow Jesus. We are partaking of the body and blood of Christ. We are confessing this one, this Jesus, as our Savior and our Lord. To take his body and his blood is to confess him as Savior and Lord. And I want to just take a few moments... Do not come forward and take lightly this call to follow Christ. One of the, I love doing it every week, but one of the downfalls is it becomes repetitious. It becomes just the, the thing we've got to do before we get out of here. You know, let's get through it so we can get out. It's not what communion is. It is a call to receive the forgiveness of your sins through the shed blood, the broken body of Jesus Christ. It is your receiving of Jesus Christ by faith. It is your recognizing that his death was the death that I deserve. His life is now my life. His righteousness is now mine. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. My life is no longer my own. I was bought with a price. Therefore, as 1 Corinthians said, I will glorify God 
with my body. Don't come forward and take lightly this call to follow Jesus. He has no place to lay his head. There's no home for him here in this world. And are you willing to take on that hard reality for the reward reward of truly having him? You should think of it. Pray, God, give you eyes to see his immense value and to grant repentance for the valuing of other things over him. And if you do come and you partake, do so in the full light of all that it means. Let's pray. God, my words fall so short here, but your Holy Spirit knows no limits, can do the work in our hearts that needs to be done. So we ask and we pray and we beseech, God, do the work in my heart, do the work in our hearts, God, that we would resist and rebuke and turn from this world and its prizes and value Christ. Not follow these lesser things, but follow you, the one who has true value, value that nothing else can hold a candle to. Give us eyes to see. Give us repentant hearts as we trust you and come to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.